to the Balanced Blonde Podcast, Soul on Fire. If you are new here, welcome to our tribe. And if you aren't, then welcome back. We love you. We're so glad to have you here. I'm especially excited about today's episode, even though I know I say that every week, but I really am because we have one of my teachers and someone who I've really looked to for inspiration a lot in the last year and finally got to sit down and chat with and completely hit it off with, if I do say so myself, because she's just so fun and easy to get along with and hilarious and not at all a serious spiritual teacher in the way that you might think. Serious, yes, because she's obviously serious about her practice, but stuffy, no, she's down to earth, hilarious, up in the ethers all at the same time. And the woman who I'm talking about is Guru Jagat. She is the author of Invincible Living, which is a book all about kundalini practices, kundalini yoga. She is the founder of Rama Institute for Applied Yogic Science and Technology, which is a kundalini yoga studio, but also also a gathering place for wellness trendsetters and teachers who want to learn how to use kundalini and meditation as a tool to chemically release, strengthen, and activate the genetic code while igniting the energy centers of the body, mind, and spirit. So not only is there a Rama here in Venice that I go to, but there's also one in New York that I serendipitously serendipitously stumbled into the last time I was in the city and I was wandering the East Village looking for Chill House, which is a very trendy kind of like adaptogenic latte place and self-care spa center, all these cool things. And I saw Chill House, realized I couldn't even drink any of their lattes because of the sugar and that they use in their nut milks, which is a whole long story about why I'm not doing that type of sugar right now. But anyways, I knew I was led there for a reason because it led me into Rama. Rama was right across the street from Chill House and I was in this kind of funky area deep into the East Village, pretty far from what I'm used to being a West Village girl myself when I used to live in the city and I always stay in Cooper Square at the Standard. So I wasn't that far from this area, but I also wasn't that familiar with it. So I knew that I saw Rama for a reason, just like Kundalini plopped itself into my life for such a huge reason. And before we start the episode, I'll remind you guys of that story just super briefly. But first, I'll keep telling you about the things that Guru Jagat does because she's amazing. So she started Rama in June 2013, which is actually exactly when I started my blog, Yet another connection between her and I that makes me so happy. It's a beautiful studio. They also have one in Mallorca, Spain. And there's some fun things coming up there that we talk about at the end of the episode that I might actually be involved in, which would be even cooler for me to a whole new level. There are so many different programs on Rama's website. They have Rama TV, Guru Jagat has a podcast. She's all over the press. She's been in Vogue. Anyone who's been in Vogue is legit, wouldn't you say? I mean, wow. So cool to be in Vogue for Kundalini. And just lots of awesome things happening. We talk a lot in this episode about the Aquarian age 
And she actually explains why it's the Aquarian age. We don't just kind of chit chat about it for the sake of talking about the concepts of the Aquarian age, but she explains how we shifted from the Piscean age to the Aquarian age. And we go over so much. We also talk about the fact that she is in love and we discuss relationships and what it's like to have that type of love, that type of support in your life, but also how powerful it is to be a powerful single woman in this day and age. We talk about so many different things. We talk about Yogi Bhajan being her teacher, the teacher who brought Kundalini Yoga to the West and really introduced the practice to Western women. And how special is that? Because now we all get to reap the benefits. So... The brief little story about Kundalini popping into my life out of nowhere was that I was always a yogi, started doing vinyasa yoga when I was about 12 years old, had heard a lot about Kundalini, didn't really know what it was, wasn't really interested. It sounded like a lot of sitting around and meditating and chanting and not getting sweaty and not getting out of my head. But I think the practice turned me off because I was scared to sit still. And one day in early 2017, not long after I started this podcast, so if you've been listening for a while, you already know the whole evolution, but I started obsessing about introducing Kundalini into my life to the point where Ben, who writes the show notes of this podcast, told me, Jordan, you talk about Kundalini in every episode. It's time to do some Kundalini, like maybe write a blog post about it or learn more about it because you keep talking about it. So I just, you know, kept hearing about it, kept thinking about it. Things started presenting themselves to me. Books about Kundalini started radiating on shelves at yoga studios and meditation studios to the point where I had to purchase those books, bring them home and read them. And I still didn't feel like I had much of a grasp on Kundalini yoga. And then I serendipitously found myself speaking at a women's retreat in Santa Barbara called the Happiness Retreat a little over a year ago. And I went there because Ashley, my photographer, her friend was putting it on and she asked me to be a part of it. And I said, yes. And then I was driving in my car to Santa Barbara thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I going to Santa Barbara for the afternoon? That's far. I need to start, you know, having more boundaries, saying no, doing all these things. Then I got there and it was very clear to me what I was doing there and why. And all of the resistance melted away because not only was it a beautiful retreat with amazing people and such an amazing woman who puts the retreats on, but also I met two shining souls named Brittany and Tara, who you may know from this podcast, formerly High Vibe Living was their brand. Now it's Elevate the Globe and they have their own podcast now, The Elevator Podcast, and it's so amazing. They came up to me at the event and they said, we're Kundalini teachers in Los Angeles and we would love to give you a private. And right then and there, I was like, you guys, I've been dying to learn more about Kundalini. This is insane. This is so insane. We've got to do it. So I started doing privates with them. They introduced me to some good studios here around LA. That's how I discovered Guru Jagat and Tage, who I love. 
I take her class a lot at Nine Treasures in West Hollywood. And then I bought Guru Jagat's book, started really, really, really looking to her for inspiration. And the rest is history. So Kundalini is a huge part of my life now. It takes me out of my head. I learned that it actually is a very good workout for the nervous system, for the core, for the whole body. Oftentimes in class, you'll be jumping up and down, practically doing jumping jacks for a much longer amount of time than you could ever believe. Kundalini is all about getting you out of your head, making you uncomfortable, making you angry almost at how uncomfortable you are, and then being able to shift back from that. So it's pretty amazing. That's at least my take on it. But I know there's so much more to Kundalini applied yogic science, and we dive into that in this episode. But before we do... We're going to talk about today's sponsor, Four Sigmatic. I am such a huge fan of Four Sigmatic for so many reasons. The adaptogenic mushroom coffee that I have been raving and raving about for a long time now. It was kind of sad because during the time that I had really bad eczema and hives, I didn't have any mushrooms in my life because I wasn't sure if they were contributing to the rashes that I was having, allergic reactions, whatnot. But I quickly learned once I reintroduced them into my life that they weren't causing the reaction, thankfully. So I'm back on my daily caffeine-free chaga, which I love so much. Chaga gives you so much energy, you guys. It's pretty much nuts. The taste of it is this very roasty blend, almost like a roasted coffee blend without the coffee and without the caffeine. So in some of their packets, like their mushroom coffee, or their latte, their, um, I'm sorry, their matcha, matcha lattes, there is caffeine, but I buy the caffeine-free varieties because I've been really thriving on a caffeine-free life, caffeine-free diet, I would say. Um, and that's coming from a former caffeine addict. So I feel really good just using my body's natural energy and then supplementing my natural energy with these adaptogenic mushrooms, with the power of the mushroom kingdom. And if you don't know much about the mushroom kingdom, you're in luck because Taro, who started Four Sigmatic, he's coming on this podcast in a couple of weeks. We've recorded our interview. He's awesome. He teaches us us all about fungi and he's been foraging for fungi his whole life. It's pretty awesome. So I just want to share my caffeine-free chaga recipe with you guys because I've talked all about the other products, you know, about their mushroom hot cacao that I love, their matcha, but you might not know how to make it at home the way that I do and that I'm always posting on my stories, my Instagram. I mean, the fun thing is you can make it any way you want, obviously, make it whichever way sounds most delicious to you, but I will share my recipe. So I use about one half cup of hot water and one half cup of steamed coconut milk, two tablespoons, which I'm pretty sure is a bit beyond the regular recommendation, but you know me, always pushing the limits, two tablespoons of caffeine-free chaga, which will give it a really nice dark roasty taste. And then I blend it up in my Vitamix. If you don't have a blender, you can also mix it with a spoon. And I add a little bit of stevia because I love that sweetness, that natural sweetness. And... 
that's it. You can also add cinnamon. You can add dandelion tea to make it extra potent and extra coffee tasting. But otherwise, that's really my favorite way to go about it. Caffeine-free chaga is where it's at. So to order from Four Sigmatic, we have a special code. Actually, yeah, it's a code. It's also a link you can choose. So you can either go to foursigmatic.com slash blonde to get 15% off of your order, which is F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-C. Oh my God. M-A-T-I-C.com slash B-L-O-N-D-E to get 15% off of your order. Or you can go to foursigmatic.com and enter the code BLONDE, all caps, B-L-O-N-D-E at checkout. And either way, you get 15% off. So that's definitely the way to order. Thank you, Four Sigmatic, for sponsoring, for being a part of the tribe. You know, we love you dearly, dearly, dearly. And one of my very good friends, Celeste, just started working for the company. So I'm extra happy. I'm really, really happy for her. It's such a good fit. And I'm happy for them because she's a badass. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode with Guru Jagat and talk all about the Kundalini life. I am sitting here with Guru Jagat yeah, and there I is. am so happy that I know how to pronounce your name. I know, because, small victories. <laughs> right? I've been such a fan ever since I read your book and took your class and ever since I went down the rabbit hole of Kundalini Yoga, yeah. which everybody listening knows that they kind of heard the whole evolution of, I feel like I should try it. It's calling out to me. I hear it to then starting to take classes, having these crazy out of body experiences. And then just the clarity to make decisions. Yeah, That's been so helpful for me. So you're here with us today. You're the founder of Rama, which is here in LA, in New York, which I also, I don't even think you know this, stumbled into a couple weeks ago. Oh, like so Randomly. Really? I was just, I was like, strolling around the East Village looking for Chill House, which is right across the street. From Rama, that's right. Yeah, and then I saw, I'm like, wait, Rama, I didn't even know this was open in New York yet, but clearly it is. So I went in, bought a bunch of crystals. Oh, you're so sweet. Everybody in there was so nice. There was just like some, a guy at the front desk and then a girl who was Skyping with like you, I think. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Um, But it was, yeah, it was so beautiful. So Mm. you're also the author of Invincible Living, which I devoured. And you do so much. You have... You have a whole team. You have a Rama in Mallorca and you have your beautiful Mallorcan team here too. So how did you, how did you find this path? How did you get into all this? Well, first of all, thank you for, um, uh, you're, you know, I, I, I love to hear because I think that, um, you're very kind of interstellar in a certain way. And I think it's cool to hear, even though you're also like the girl next door, but you have like this kind of interstellar thing. And I think it's cool to hear how the the Kundalini Yoga affects everyone. I'm always very curious. And how like 
you know, you can be looking for meditation or you can be looking for a little bit, uh, because actually, as you found out, Kundalini yoga is actually a really good workout. Um, You (laughs) can be looking for a workout. You can be looking for um, just a way to kind of calm your mind or, you know, sleep better, all the kind of modern maladies. And then um, it really, there's so many points of entry. And so I love to hear, I love to hear everyone's point of entry and what it does for them, because I'm kind of a mad scientist, you know? Totally. Um, And I'm always experimenting. We call Ram, the, the, the big name of Rama's Rama Institute for Applied Yogic Science and Technology. And I'm really, I really am like a mad scientist. That's kind of my, so I'm always trying, you know, ex, very excited and interested in how, what happens when people try to, you know, kind of train their minds and their bodies in a different way, which is what, really what Kundalini does. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that it's applied science, applied yogic science. Yes. That is so fascinating to me. And it's one of those things I had heard about Kundalini long before I ever tried it. And now I see why. Yeah. So tell us about that and tell us how you got into it. Because I I think, yeah, we brushed right over that. Um, Well, I'll I'll, I'll tell you how I got into it and then bridge into that um, part of it. But um, I I was into Ashtanga yoga, the type of vinyasa yoga. And um, it was back in the early 2000s. Um, and everybody was doing yoga. And especially I was kind of in a scene, like uh, like a, a spiritual scene. I was looking for something. I knew that I didn't want to just kind of get a job and make some money and do all the things that you were told you were supposed to do and watch some television and die. I mean, like mm-hmm. I knew that that wasn't going to be my life. No um, so I was, I was searching for something and I was in a spiritual community and everybody was doing Ashtanga and I was like very begrudgingly. I was like, really? You have to get up at five o'clock in the morning and you know, and it's so annoying and everybody was so kind of self-righteous about it. <laughs> and I was very begrudgingly started to do some yoga. Um, I much preferred fitness myself. You know, I love dancing and running and doing other things, working out, doing some good weightlifting. I box. Like I used to train with these amazing like Brooklyn, old school Brooklyn boxers. So and, cool. You know, I was into that. Like I like, I'm a very physical person. So I I started the Ashtanga and I, I, I'm a dedicated person. So I started doing it every morning. I was like, all right, you know, I, I want to become a yogi. That's like something I, I want to, I know, I want to know what that is. And so started practicing every morning at 5 a.m. Um, and in traditional Ashtanga, it's a silent practice. So it was very deep and con- contemplative and meditative and I'm not particularly, my body type is not particularly the Ashtanga body type, which is, you know, first of all, it was it was created for like 16-year-old Indian boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like a six foot tall Amazon woman. Um, <laughs> and so I was having some rough like physical things with it, just like tearing my shoulder cuff and just having some injury because um, I was practicing so diligently. Uh, little did I know that uh, once I got into Kundalini, we practice, uh, they do six days a week at 5 a.m.-ish, 6 a.m.-ish. Um, and now I, of course, got into Kundalini and we do seven days a week at 4 a.m. Right. Um, I thought it was so hardcore, you know? Yeah, so uh, much more intense yeah, like, but, but yeah, it's, it, we upped the game. You really um, did. But then I went into post 9-11 in New York. I, everyone was super freaked out. And I remember I had met this girl who was like kind of a mystery. Like she wore a turban and there was a vibe. And I was like, she was like, come to my yoga class. I knew it wasn't what I had known of yoga. So I went 
And within 20, 25 seconds, I had like a major kind of mystical experience, kind of what 25 you were, seconds? I mean, big time, quickly, like the whole kind of lotus of the crown chakra whoa. opened and like the heavens parted and the angels were singing. And I was like, whoa, this hasn't happened to me yet in my my two yeah. hour kind of Mysore practice. And so I was very, I mean, I was hooked right. Like I knew I had found something I've been looking for. And I think anybody who is kind of hunting for fulfillment, which really like is part of your generation and part of the generations coming behind you is like a soul group that is not going to just be kind of satisfied with the status quo, which is what's so beautiful about your whole kind of soul group and your peers. And I think, you know, you're hunting for something, you know, you want it to be bigger than what, you know, kind of you saw your parents or your grandparents do. And I think, you know, for me, that was one of those pivotal moments of, whoa, this is, I was looking for this. And that that's how you know you're kind of in your destiny path. Absolutely. I mean, within the first 25 seconds. Yeah, it was real. Because I feel, to me, that means the practice was calling to you and you finally made it there. Yeah. Do you resonate with that? Because... Yeah, it, I mean, I you know, lifetimes. I, I've I've been practicing for lifetimes. Now that I'm you know, is seventeen years down the road, I've realized in this lifetime, the kind of experiences I've had are memories of times when I've there was there hasn't been a time I haven't practiced these types of yogic uh, technologies throughout lifetimes. Wow, that's so amazing. So, are you able to see past lifetimes of yours when you go deep into these? Kriyas and meditations and things that you do? I mean, I think that that, that's something I talk about a lot. I mean, because I love talking about esoterics, but I do think that, you know, on a very pragmatic level, when you start to just clear your mind of some of the insecurities and clutter and just the habits that we get into of focusing on the wrong things and and, um, about ourselves and about our lives and how that makes us unhappy, when we start to train ourselves to focus on the the right things and and go in the momentum of of right action, I do feel like it gives you clarity in your mind so that some of the more intuitive aspects that are inherent to all humans come to be more kind of um, the order of the day. So I I feel that we're all psychic. I know we are all, all right. are. And that when you talk about the opening of the third eye or some of the more esoteric ways to describe that, I feel it's actually very pragmatic that when you clean up the clutter of the subconscious mind, what's going to fill is your own power, your own intuitive power. And just in the sci- on the science kind of tip or the yogic science, the neocortex of the brain is the evolutionary brain and it's this frontal lobe of the brain. And the yogis have known this for 7,000 years that when you stimulate the, the frontal centers of the brain, something opens up in you that gives you kind of more empathy, more compassion, more intuitiveness, or what we would call kind of psychic vision. Um, so yes, I do, of course, have those experiences. Um, but I think people focused on their past lives in a way that's kind of it doesn't seem like it's actually benefiting their current life. It's like most people can't even deal with their current life. Yeah. <laughs> so who true. cares about what you were in the past life? Exactly. You know what I, mean? yeah. I agree. Yeah. I was pretty interested at first when I was diving into the past life stuff. I still am, but I was I wanted to know everything. Yeah. Who was I? Where did I live? What planet was I from? Did I look the way I look now at all. Yeah. And then eventually it was like, okay, all of that exists because we're here now. And to focus on this life is, I've found that to serve me the best, is, although it's exciting to dive into all the other stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's cool that you go about it in the scientific way because not only is that so approachable to so many people, but it's also what kundalini yoga is. So when it comes to the brain, the nervous system, that's something I'm so interested in is that when you first got into the practice, is that something that you started discovering pretty quickly or learned over time? Well, I think that I was always curious about kind of how the body worked, but it certainly has my kind of uh, depth of knowledge as a yogic scientist has happened through kind of experiential learning and then backing that up. Because I, I, I'm, i you know, I'm a scholar. I, I study all, you know, any free time I have, I study. I'm always looking, you know, looking at research and t- yeah, it's just kind of a passion of mine. And I don't think everybody, the kid, you know, not everybody relates to um, it that way, but for me, I do. And so I just, and I think it's an exciting time in the research that's happening in the Western scientific kind of realms to compare it to what we've known in yogic science and the kind of practitioners and the and the experiments and the you know all these practitioners have done for thousands of years and even the Egyptians the eye of Horus like that's the description of the third eye the pituitary gland the pineal gland and they were, the Egyptians were very into you know, kind of cultivating all of that. And then even when they entombed their, their you know, priests and priestesses, there was the, the whole technology about the endocrine system. So yeah, I'm kind of a geek about it all. And, um, but that's backed up with experience because I do think what has happened is that we're no longer in an age of knowledge, which is that means that, you know, people can know a lot of things, but those things anybody can know, you can right now Google, and I recommend that you do, um, the endocrine system or the pineal gland or some of the, you know, if you're interested in the Egyptian stuff, you can right now Google that on your smartphone, on your computer, whatever you're listening to this, and you can find a million people who know way more than I know about that. Um, however, the experience, this is what Yogi Bhajan, the master of Kundalini Yoga talked about in this age is this is the age of experience. So those who actually have the experience that can back up the knowledge, they become the leaders and the, and, and the people who are kind of leading this new age because experience is something that can't be taken from you. Um, and it's, it's something that is tr- a transformative force. And so I think that's that's part of. So yes, I've had a lot of experience to teach me. Like, whoa, that's my central nervous system. That's the my whoa, the the neurons just changed in my brain. Like you know, when you're learning something new, like I always try to learn something new every year. So um, right now I'm I'm studying deeply hula dancing and like all the traditions so of fun. like sacred dance in that in the Polynesian and Tahitian. Yeah. Um, like a year before, I did a lot of hip hop and. But you know, when you're doing something new, you can feel your brain. You can feel it like viscerally your brain is changing and that that's the feeling of the the neocortex and the central cortex of the brain and the firing of the neurons and the synapses i mean it's a tangible feeling so i think it's cool to also like kind of root the that in a, a real kind of okay this is actually this is the biology of my emotions this is the biochemistry i can actually command that through my breath and through certain mental focuses and that's kind of the whole yogic science game right 
Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I also think it's so cool that you're learning hula dancing. It's amazing. And I love... I mean, I'm always so fascinated by people who are known for this one specific thing. You're yeah. such the kundalini guru. And here you are doing all this other stuff. And that's what fascinates me is who people are. And it seems like something you love is learning, learning yes. new things. Yes. So you're always going to be trying totally different things that are so separate from kundalini yet also probably have similarities with like linking the breath with the movement. 100%. Yeah. 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 I'm, I really, um, you know, I, I do so much work with women. We just came off of this crazy women's retreat. We're it all like buzzing so cool. um, called Camp Grace. And, and, and my teacher, Yogi Bhajan, was also very committed for his whole time he, on earth. He really committed his life to teaching, particularly once he moved to America, the Western woman, right. how to be in this new time. And he predicted what's happening what's happened in the past year, two, three, you know, it's just a whole new time for women on the planet. So really a big focus of my work is the women's work. And my whole message to women is that if you, first of all, women hold the vibration of the of the future because we create, whether we choose to create a, a human child or not, it, that's, you know, we, we have the capacity. And so, um, women, a modern woman really has to have the capacity of a very kind of, you know, priestess, what, what it truly means to be kind of this wide open channel. And that requires, I feel, a very full spectrum of uh, practice. And um, so, yeah, I think, you know, the movement of, of learning how to move energy in your body as a woman, I mean, it's one of our greatest powers and it's not age specific and it's not, you know, you don't have to always be 25 to be able to create like a really deep, powerful vitality and energy in your body. And I think that's an important thing too, because, you know, time will turn us all down. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's definitely part of my teaching of like how to be like a really well-rounded uh, woman. So yeah, I try to practice what I preach. So I always, I'm always learning new things and yeah. the hula, I mean, it is so sacred and so deep and so, and, and the men, I mean, if you want to like, you want to look at something hot, Google like men's hula dancing. It's like the hottest thing you've ever seen. It's I need to check it out. I mean, That's these so men cool. are such warriors, like from the Polynesian right. traditions. It's, you know, it's it's some hot, it's some soft porn. Ooh, I'm going to look into <laughs> yeah, that. You, you, you have fun with that. For sure. I was just in Maui and I did a Polynesian fusion workout for the first time in my life, which was like, a lot of pushing and pulling of the bamboo sticks oh, and all wow. the other rain sticks that they brought. And it's cool. all using your body it's to... It's a good workout. We were all so sore. It was unreal. Yeah. Like crazy. Yeah. Like yeah. dripping sweat in the sun and they infuse so much culture into it. And cool. yeah, it That's was really so awesome. fun. Yeah. Really Next fun. time you're in Maui, I have to send you to my Kumu. She's amazing. <gasps> Please do. I'll be there in June. Okay. I go a lot. Send, it's like uh, my second home. You totally have to meet her. We'll, we'll connect oh, you guys. She's amazing. I would love that. I only learned recently about all of the spirituality on Maui. I've been going my whole life, but my family 
had no idea. Yeah, you, you guys are like in Waikiki. <laughs> yeah, we, like, seriously. Yeah, 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 we're like chilling in Waialea yeah. on the beach. Right, and right. then I learned about Lumeria and all the mm. awesome stuff. Yeah, that's where we just had, we had a, a relationship. Me and my boyfriend, John Wineland, had a relationship course at Lumeria um, oh, this year. It was amazing. Next I guess it was time last I'm year. coming, that is, wait, that's your boyfriend? John Wineland. Oh, yeah. I heard him on Luke Story's podcast. Yes. yes. That's amazing. Yes. I didn't know. Yes. Look at you two. Yeah. That's such a power duo in so Thanks. many ways. I know. He's a he's a he's a hunk. Yeah. That's yeah. that's awesome. Ugh, I love that. Speaking of relationships and love and passion and all that good, good stuff, I wanted to thank our second sponsor for today's episode, Woo for Play. So Woo for Play is this incredible brand that I have been so into ever since I discovered it. It is a coconut oil-based lubricant for sex. So let me tell you why I'm so passionate about this. I think especially in this Aquarian age, as Guru Jagat and I talk about a lot in this episode, women are being called to the forefront and women are taking their power back. And in one big way, I feel like women, at least where I grew up and kind of my experience and many of my earlier relationships in life, women don't have the tools to believe that they can bring products into the bedroom and take control of their own sex life and make it really special and really sexy and really beautiful and this divinely feminine experience. And when it comes to products that we use when we're having sex, so literally on the insides of our bodies, some of our most precious organs, the center of our femininity, our womb, our uterus, these are areas we want to take care of and make sure we're using organic premium products. And as women, I think that's something we know a lot about, especially women who listen to this podcast, wellness, addicted people. We know what's up. We know what ingredients we want to put in our bodies and on our bodies and which ones we don't. So that's why I love Woo for Play. They use just a few ingredients, very short ingredient list. They use organic coconut oil, organic stevia, organic vanilla essence, and organic beeswax. So there's a reason why they use that range of ingredients and it's because they all work together to A, stimulate you and make you feel really good because number one, first and foremost, that's what the product is about, making your sex life better. Also, it's antiviral, antifungal, non-GMO, antibacterial, organic, natural, raw, all that good stuff. It's completely coconut-based. So if you've ever on your own started using coconut oil in the bedroom, then you know how good it feels and how good it is for us inside and out. So this product really blends a bunch of things that I love the most. It feels smooth and silky and... Another thing I love is that the packaging is very sleek, very premium, very cute, something that you don't find with other products that are for the bedroom. So I think you'll really enjoy this. You can find it at wooforplay.com. That's W-O-O-F-O-R-P-L-A-Y.com and enter the promo code BLONDE when you get there. That is B-L-O-N-D-E 
wooforplay.com promo code blonde. That will get you 10% off of your first order and free shipping. Check it out. You'll love it. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Now let's dive back into this episode with Guru Jagat. Love is so special. It is. It, do you feel like being in love has increased the power within everything that you do even more? Well, I feel that being in love is misunderstood in our culture. And that's why we have so many relationship issues. Because, yeah. you know, so it is a big, um, it's a big topic. I think relationship is something that is, I think, on everybody's mind and hearts because it is one of the most fulfilling things, but it, it's also the greatest yoga. And um, John and I do a lot of work together. We do a lot of teaching together. And um I uh, feel it's one of the greatest spiritual journeys. If you really want to, if you really, I, I always say like part of the work of being a relationship is really making their emotional experience more important than your own at times. Um, and if you do that, I mean, that's that that's what they call in Buddhism being a bodhisattva is anytime you can put someone in front of your own kind of emotional needs and freak outs and blame and projections and um, in the thick of a relationship, that's like, that's the true spiritual work. So I really try to, I, I try to walk the talk and um, it's a good walk with, with him. And, but I've always been, I'm really into the yoga relationship. I had a beautiful uh, first marriage as well. That was great, great teaching. For oh, me. wow. Yeah. Yeah, you must have learned so much from that whole experience. So much. It's it's you know, I don't think everyone is I don't think everyone especially in this day and age like there was just that time cover. I don't know if you saw it of Time magazine where it's a woman with her um, ring finger up, I'm trying to do it with her ring finger oh, up, yeah, and it's yeah, and it's um, empty. And oh, there's a hummingbird, um, <gasps> and it says like I can't remember what the title is, but it's talking about basically single women being like the single most powerful force on the planet mm -hmm. right now. Um, and so I don't, I think that it's beautiful that women can also have sovereignty in a different way, um, and that maybe it's not a relationship isn't just the only focus. But in my experience, a good relay between people who are mature and love and respect each other, you know, everything else, you can have everything. And that is like really one of the treasures, both with yourself and with someone that you love. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Well, next time you do a relationship retreat. We'll get you there, girl. We I saw there. your hunk of a boyfriend. Yes, oh, yes. Yeah. How long have you been with him? We've been together for a little over a year. Congratulations. We were, thank you. We were best friends for three years before we started dating. So it's always this thing where we feel like we've been together for so long. But I also know that before we were together, I was in and out of all these other much less healthy relationships and then completely single, which was so powerful. It is powerful. That's when I started this podcast. That's when I started really getting on the path to everything, every health that I have in my body now. Mm, I mean, so I, I definitely recognize the power of that. Mm -hmm. And when people ask me, how do I find my twin flame or this amazing love that you found, this spiritual person? I always just say, first, love yourself and really do it because yeah. you can talk about loving yourself yes, you all can. day long. Yeah. But when I dropped everything else and just 
wasn't looking and got so clear. That's when my best friend, Jonathan, all of a sudden seemed like the most appealing person in the whole world to me Mm. and vice versa. That's beautiful. Yeah. How long have you and John been together? Six years. Six years. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. We're actually past six years now. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I had no idea. Well, we're I not, usually we're not stop public, people to I the know. point of knowing. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, we have a lot of YouTube stuff out there, but also like, I don't, you know, we're not, we're not like, uh, we're not like constantly right. posting pictures of, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We, I always saw your image as very like, I don't know. I just thought that you were just single and like, I don't know if I got that from your book. Maybe it's just because you do so much. Yeah. That's you and yeah. your businesses. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know. So interesting to if me. He's my, see, he's like my greatest business advisor. He's helped me so much with business. He's a wonderful businessman and just like so, so smart and such a grounding force. So yeah. So good to have that. Yeah. So cool. So let's talk about Yogi Bhajan being your teacher yeah. because... Getting into Kundalini, learning about it. Obviously, that was the first name that I saw. He brought Kundalini to the West and he was your teacher. You actually, he gave you your name and you were in his presence for the last couple years of his life, if I understand correctly. So tell us what that was like. Well, I was young and, you know, dumb basically. So I didn't even, I knew that I was, I knew on some level that I had to be in, I had to go to the ashram and be in the aura and be in his presence, but I didn't really understand until much later what the treasure of that was. And honestly, a lot of people talk about uh, him being, you know, him coming to them in dreams or while they're meditating or this kind of thing. And he said often, especially at the end of his life, that when he got more transparent, he actually could do more work because the physical body was less limiting you know, it was less limiting to him. So he was very excited to graduate out of his physical body um, and tried to, this was his last incarnation on earth in that way. And so he, he definitely was, he was excited to get out of his body to do more of the kind of etheric work. And, and, um, and a lot of the great teachers of our time in this last part of what is called the age of Pisces, the Piscean age, um, have decided that they're not going to reincarnate, uh, including the Dalai Lama, you know, a couple of years ago made the announcement. He's had 14 reincarnations. This is the 14th Dalai Lama. And he made the announcement that he's not going to reincarnate. I've had several of my kind of root gurus, we'll call them, have decided not to reincarnate, including another uh, uh, Rinpoche that um, passed in 2000, right at the end of 2015 at 16. Um, and he told his students, do not look for me. I'm not reincarnating. So it's kind of interesting. And I I have a theory and my living teacher, Hadi Jeevan, and I are, we ta- we've talked about like, basically we're in an age where you can Google, like anybody right now can go on YouTube and watch Yogi Bhajan speak. You can watch Krishnamurti. You can watch um, Amma. You can watch, you know, all of these great spiritual teachers and things are changing on the planet now. And the whole kind of that whole um, 
way of being and the need for it is changing. Um, and so I really look at kind of my work on the planet is more of a, as an artist, as a creator. I think that part of the what I try to kind of transmit through my own life is that if you are creative and you create on a daily basis as a spiritual practice, this is going to give you kind of the, the, the fruits of the creative powers, which are really why we're here. Um, not the destructive powers, not the self-destructive, which is a, is a path well trodden, um, but that we're really here to create and and create love and create ingenious. And, you know, Stephen Hawkins just died this last night or yesterday afternoon. Uh, you know, that kind of genius is, it's, if he didn't, if he wouldn't have gone through his challenges and done what he did anyways, uh, we would never have the great kind of legacy he left behind. So, I think that's kind of the way that I see um, how to be a leader or a teacher now in this age. It's changed. And Yogi Bhajan was kind of the last of that era as well as um, His Holiness and some of these other teachers. Um, And so that's just a theory. I don't know if I'm right. But and so he was a great it was a great treasure to just be in his his aura for a little bit of those last years. And um, and it's also, you know, I feel that I'm very lucky to have a relationship with my living teacher, Hari Jivan, because I think in any sector, like take it out of spirituality, you people talk about mentorship or or having a teacher or having a guide of some sort. It's really the most powerful relationship for your progress. And I think anybody you ask who's really successful will tell you, I had a really good mentor or guide or teacher. or And I feel that that's really the key to my success as I both was able to spend that last little bit with Yogi Bhajan. And then I also have an incredible teacher who is living. And yeah. I'm very lucky. Yeah. That's so lucky to have both. I really feel lucky. Yeah. So, well, that's amazing. And the age, the Piscean age that you're talking about, now we're in the Aquarian age. Tell us what that means. I'm sure so many people listening don't know. And yeah, what is it? What are some concepts? Yeah, well, it's an astrological phenomenon. Um, you know, there's basically a wobble of the earth. And there, because of that wobble, it creates this when the when the earth is turning it creates this um kind of uh, the way the axis points towards a constellation in the the galaxy and that's kind of the way that you determine these big spans of time called the age of pisces age of aquarius before that the age of Aries. How long do they last? They last about 2,000 and change years. So you think like for the age of Pisces, BC to AD was the change into the age of Pisces. And now just like many of the prophecies of many different lineages, including most notably probably the, the Mayan prophecy, but also this astrological prophecy, now we've moved since uh, basically the earth hit, the, the, the axis of the earth pointed at the galactic center of the Milky Way galaxy on the 21st of December 2012, which is the, the hmm. Mayan prophecy, the end of the Mayan calendar and many of the other kind of prophecies. Um, even you see some of the, that prophecy in kind of the um, uh, last chapter of the Bible or, you know, just different types of, of prophecy around the change of aim, how to be a leader or a teacher now in this age, it's changed. And Yogi Bhajan was kind of the last of that era as well as um, His Holiness and some of these other teachers. Um, 
And so that's just a theory. I don't know if I'm right, but, and so he was a great, it was a great treasure to just be in his, his aura for a little bit of those last years. And, um, and it's also, you know, I feel that I'm very lucky to have a relationship with my living teacher, Hari Jivan, because I think in any sector, like take it out of spirituality, you people talk about mentorship or, or having a teacher or having a guide of some sort. It's really the most powerful relationship for your progress. And I think anybody you ask who's really successful will tell you, I had a really good mentor or guide or teacher. Or, and I feel that that's really the key to my success as I both was able to spend that last little bit with Yogi Bhajan. And then I also have an incredible teacher who is living. And yeah. I'm very lucky. Yeah. That's so lucky to have both. I really feel lucky. Yeah. So, well, that's amazing. And the age, the Piscean age that you're talking about, now we're in the Aquarian age. Tell us what that means. I'm sure so many people listening don't know. And yeah, what is it? What are some concepts? Yeah, well, it's an astrological phenomenon. Um, you know, there's basically a wobble of the earth. And there, because of that wobble, it creates this when the when the earth is turning it creates this um kind of uh, the way the axis points towards a constellation in the the galaxy and that's kind of the way that you determine these big spans of time called the age of pisces age of aquarius before that the age of Aries. How long do they last? They last about 2,000 and change years. So you think like for the age of Pisces, BC to AD was the change into the age of Pisces. And now just like many of the prophecies of many different lineages, including most notably probably the, the Mayan prophecy, but also this astrological prophecy, now we've moved since uh, basically the earth hit, the, the, the axis of the earth pointed at the galactic center of the Milky Way galaxy on the 21st of December, 2012, which is the, the hmm. Mayan prophecy, the end of the Mayan calendar and many of the other kind of prophecies. Um, even you see some of the, that prophecy in kind of the um, uh, last chapter of the Bible or, you know, just different types of, of prophecy around the change of age. And in that change of age, we went from an age of the people who had the power were the people who knew the most. And part of the cusp time of the change of age was the advent of the internet. So from basically 1991 to 2012 was this kind of cusp period. And we're still really just a scratch into it, um, into the age of Aquarius. But that was the cusp period and that was the advent of the internet. So all of a sudden, those who had the knowledge or the know-how in this age of Pisces, it was like if somebody knew how to do something, you travel hundreds of, you travel for days to find out or if they knew something about, so you travel, this was the age, the, you know, and then all of a sudden the internet came. And so you would say, uh, before Christ, after Christ, well, before the internet, after the internet. Right. And so um, now it's no longer, anybody can get all of the knowledge. And Yogi Bhajan talked about this and people made fun of him. I mean, they he thought he think, was ridiculous. They, they didn't think it would actually happen. No, he said in the seventies, we're going to have a phone. We're going to have a handheld device that with one touch of a button, you're going to have all knowledge available at your fingertip. And everybody was what? like, oh yeah, whatever. I mean, you know, they could <laughs> yeah. not, they couldn't comprehend it. Of course. So the internet kind 
kind of basically uh, midwifed in this new age of this, the change of power, which is what we're seeing right now. We're seeing this very kind of shaky, the structure of how to be a leader or a teacher now in this age. It's changed. And Yogi Bhajan was kind of the last of that era, as well as um, His Holiness and some of these other teachers. Um, and so that's just a theory. I don't know if I'm right, but, and so he was a great, it was a great treasure to just be in his, his aura for a little bit of those last years. And, um, and it's also, you know, I feel that I'm very lucky to have a relationship with my living teacher, Hari Jivan, because I think in any sector, like take it out of spirituality, you people talk about mentorship or, or having a teacher or having a guide of some sort. It's really the most powerful relationship for your progress. And I think anybody you ask who's really successful will tell you, I had a really good mentor or guide or teacher. Or And I feel that that's really the key to my success as I both was able to spend that last little bit with Yogi Bhajan. And then I also have an incredible teacher who is living. And yeah. I'm very lucky. Yeah. That's so lucky to have both. I really feel lucky. Yeah. So, well, that's amazing. And the age, the Piscean age that you're talking about, now we're in the Aquarian age. Tell us what that means. I'm sure so many people listening don't know. And yeah, what is it? What are some concepts? Yeah, well, it's an astrological phenomenon. Um, you know, there's basically a wobble of the earth. And there, because of that wobble, it creates this when the when the earth is turning it creates this um kind of uh, the way the axis points towards a constellation in the the galaxy and that's kind of the way that you determine these big spans of time called the age of pisces age of aquarius before that the age of Aries. How long do they last? They last about 2,000 and change years. So you think like for the age of Pisces, BC to AD was the change into the age of Pisces. And now just like many of the prophecies of many different lineages, including most notably probably the, the Mayan prophecy, but also this astrological prophecy, now we've moved since uh, basically the earth hit, the, the, the axis of the earth pointed at the galactic center of the Milky Way galaxy on the 21st of December, 2012, which is the, the hmm. Mayan prophecy, the end of the Mayan calendar and many of the other kind of prophecies. Um, even you see some of the, that prophecy in kind of the um, uh, last chapter of the Bible or, you know, just different types of, of prophecy around the change of age. And in that change of age, we went from an age of the people who had the power were the people who knew the most. And part of the cusp time of the change of age was the advent of the internet. So from basically 1991 to 2012 was this kind of cusp period. And we're still really just a scratch into it, um, into the age of Aquarius. But that was the cusp period and that was the advent of the internet. So all of a sudden, those who had the knowledge or the know-how in this age of Pisces, it was like if somebody knew how to do something, you travel hundreds of, you travel for days to find out or if they knew something about, so you travel, this was the age, the, you know, and then all of a sudden the internet came. And so you would say uh, 
before Christ, after Christ. Well, before the internet, after the internet. Right. And so um, now it's no longer, anybody can get all of the knowledge. And Yogi Bhajan talked about this and people made fun of him. I mean, they he thought he was ridiculous. They, they didn't think it would actually happen. No, he said in the seventies, we're going to have a phone. We're going to have a handheld device that with one touch of a button, you're going to have all knowledge available at your fingertip. And everybody was what? like, oh yeah, whatever. I mean, you know, they could <laughs> yeah. not, they couldn't comprehend it. Of course. So the internet kind of basically uh, midwifed in this new age of this, the change of power, which is what we're seeing right now. We're seeing this very kind of shaky, the structure of how to be a leader or a teacher now in this age. It's changed. And Yogi Bhajan was kind of the last of that era, as well as um, His Holiness and some of these other teachers. Um, and so that's just a theory. I don't know if I'm right, but, and so he was a great, it was a great treasure to just be in his, his aura for a little bit of those last years. And, um, and it's also, you know, I feel that I'm very lucky to have a relationship with my living teacher, Hari Jivan, because I think in any sector, like take it out of spirituality, you people talk about mentorship or, or having a teacher or having a guide of some sort. It's really the most powerful relationship for your progress. And I think anybody you ask who's really successful will tell you, I had a really good mentor or guide or teacher. or And I feel that that's really the key to my success as I both was able to spend that last little bit with Yogi Bhajan. And then I also have an incredible teacher who is living. And yeah. I'm very lucky. Yeah. That's so lucky to have both. I really feel lucky. Yeah. So, well, that's amazing. And the age, the Piscean age that you're talking about, now we're in the Aquarian age. Tell us what that means. I'm sure so many people listening don't know. And yeah, what is it? What are some concepts? Yeah, well, it's an astrological phenomenon. Um, you know, there's basically a wobble of the earth. And there, because of that wobble, it creates this when the when the earth is turning it creates this um kind of uh, the way the axis points towards a constellation in the the galaxy and that's kind of the way that you determine these big spans of time called the age of pisces age of aquarius before that the age of Aries. How long do they last? They last about 2,000 and change years. So you think like for the age of Pisces, BC to AD was the change into the age of Pisces. And now just like many of the prophecies of many different lineages, including most notably probably the, the Mayan prophecy, but also this astrological prophecy, now we've moved since uh, basically the earth hit, the, the, the axis of the earth pointed at the galactic center of the Milky Way galaxy on the 21st of December, 2012, which is the, the hmm. Mayan prophecy, the end of the Mayan calendar and many of the other kind of prophecies. Um, even you see some of the, that prophecy in kind of the um, uh, last chapter of the Bible or you know just different types of, of prophecy around the change of age. And in that change of age, we went from an age of the people who had the power were the people who knew the most. And part of the cusp time of the change of age was the advent of the internet. So from basically 1991 to 2012 was this kind of cusp period. And we're still really just a scratch into it, um, into the age of Aquarius. But 
that was the cusp period and that was the advent of the internet. So all of a sudden, those who had the knowledge or the know-how in this age of Pisces, it was like if somebody knew how to do something, you travel hundreds of, you travel for days to find out, or if they knew something about, so you travel, this was the age, the, you know, and then all of a sudden the internet came. And so you would say, uh, before Christ, after Christ, well, before the internet, after the internet. Right. And so um, now it's no longer, anybody can get all of the knowledge. And Yogi Bhajan talked about this and people made fun of him. I mean, they he thought he was ridiculous. They, they didn't think it would actually happen. No, he said in the seventies, we're going to have a phone. We're going to have a handheld device that with one touch of a button, you're going to have all knowledge available at your fingertip. And everybody was what? like, oh yeah, whatever. I mean, you know, they could <laughs> yeah. not, they couldn't comprehend it. Of course. So the internet kind of basically uh, midwifed in this new age of this, the change of power, which is what we're seeing right now. We're seeing this very kind of shaky, the structure of how to be a leader or a teacher now in this age. It's changed. And Yogi Bhajan was kind of the last of that era, as well as um, His Holiness and some of these other teachers. Um, and so that's just a theory. I don't know if I'm right, but, and so he it was a great, it was a great treasure to just be in his, his aura for a little bit of those last years. And, um, and it's also, you know, I feel that I'm very lucky to have a relationship with my living teacher, Hari Jivan, because I think in any sector, like take it out of spirituality, people talk about mentorship or, or having a teacher or having a guide of some sort. It's really the most powerful relationship for your progress. And I think anybody you ask who's really successful will tell you, I had a really good mentor or guide or teacher. or And I feel that that's really the key to my success as I both was able to spend that last little bit with Yogi Bhajan. And then I also have an incredible teacher who is living. And yeah. I'm very lucky. Yeah. That's so lucky to have both. I really feel lucky. Yeah. So, well, that's amazing. And the age, the Piscean age that you're talking about, now we're in the Aquarian age. Tell us what that means. I'm sure so many people listening don't know. And yeah, what is it? What are some concepts? Yeah, well, it's an astrological phenomenon. Um, you know, there's basically a wobble of the earth. And there, because of that wobble, it creates this when the when the earth is turning it creates this um kind of uh, the way the axis points towards a constellation in the the galaxy and that's kind of the way that you determine these big spans of time called the age of pisces age of aquarius before that the age of Aries. How long do they last? They last about 2,000 and change years. So you think like for the age of Pisces, BC to AD was the change into the age of Pisces. And now just like many of the prophecies of many different lineages, including most notably probably the, the Mayan prophecy, but also this astrological prophecy, now we've moved since uh, basically the earth hit, the, the, the axis of the earth pointed at the galactic center of the Milky Way galaxy on the 21st of December, 2012, which is the, the hmm. Mayan prophecy, the end of the Mayan calendar and many of the other kind of prophecies. Um, even you see some of the, that prophecy in kind of the um, uh, last chapter of the Bible or you know just different types of, of prophecy around the change of age. Age. And in that change of age, 
we went from an age of the people who had the power were the people who knew the most. And part of the cusp time of the change of age was the advent of the internet. So from basically 1991 to 2012 was this kind of cusp period. And we're still really just a scratch into it, um, into the age of Aquarius. But that was the cusp period and that was the advent of the internet. So all of a sudden, those who had the knowledge or the know-how in this age of Pisces, it was like if somebody knew how to do something, you travel hundreds of, you travel for days to find out, or if they knew something about to, you travel, this was the age that, you know, and then all of a sudden the internet came. And so you would say, uh, before Christ, after Christ, well, before the internet, after the internet. Right. And so um, now it's no longer, anybody can get all of the knowledge. And Yogi Bhajan talked about this and people made fun of him. I mean, they he thought he was ridiculous. They, they didn't think it would actually happen. No, he said in the seventies, we're going to have a phone. We're going to have a handheld device that with one touch of a button, you're going to have all knowledge available at your fingertip. And everybody was what? like, oh yeah, whatever. I mean, you know, they could <laughs> yeah. not, they couldn't comprehend it. Of course. So the internet kind of basically uh, midwifed in this new age of this, the change of power, which is what we're seeing right now. We're seeing this very kind of shaky, the structure of how to be a leader or a teacher now in this age. It's changed. And Yogi Bhajan was kind of the last of that era, as well as um, His Holiness and some of these other teachers. Um, and so that's just a theory. I don't know if I'm right, but and so he it was a great it was a great treasure to just be in his his aura for a little bit of those last years. And um, and it's also you know I feel that I'm very lucky to have a relationship with my living teacher Hari Jivan because I think in any sector like take it out of spirituality, people talk about mentorship or or having a teacher or having a guide of some sort. It's really the most powerful relationship for your progress. And I think anybody you ask who's really successful will tell you, I had a really good mentor or guide or teacher. or And I feel that that's really the key to my success as I both was able to spend that last little bit with Yogi Bhajan. And then I also have an incredible teacher who is living. And yeah. I'm very lucky. Yeah. That's so lucky to have both. I really feel lucky. Yeah. So, well, that's amazing. And the age, the Piscean age that you're talking about, now we're in the Aquarian age. Tell us what that means. I'm sure so many people listening don't know. And yeah, what is it? What are some concepts? Yeah, well, it's an astrological phenomenon. Um, you know, there's basically a wobble of the earth. And there, because of that wobble, it creates this when the when the earth is turning it creates this um kind of uh, the way the axis points towards a constellation in the the galaxy and that's kind of the way that you determine these big spans of time called the age of pisces age of aquarius before that the age of Aries. How long do they last? They last about 2000 and change years. So you think like for the age of Pisces, BC to AD was the change into the age of Pisces. And now just like many of the prophecies of many different lineages, including most notably probably the, the Mayan prophecy, but also this astrological prophecy, now we've moved since uh, basically the earth hit 
the, the, the axis of the earth pointed at the galactic center of the Milky Way galaxy on the 21st of December, 2012, which is the, the hmm. Mayan prophecy, the end of the Mayan calendar and many of the other kind of prophecies. Um, even you see some of the, that prophecy in kind of the um, uh, last chapter of the Bible or, you know, just different types of, of prophecy around the change of age. And in that change of age, we went from an age of the people who had the power were the people who knew the most. And part of the cusp time of the change of age was the advent of the internet. So from basically 1991 to 2012 was this kind of cusp period. And we're still really just a scratch into it, um, into the age of Aquarius. But that was the cusp period and that was the advent of the internet. So all of a sudden, those who had the knowledge or the know-how in this age of Pisces, it was like if somebody knew how to do something, you travel hundreds of, you travel for days to find out, or if they knew something about, so you travel, this was the age that, you know, and then all of a sudden the internet came. And so you would say, uh, before Christ, after Christ, well, before the internet, after the internet. Right. And so um, now it's no longer, anybody can get all of the knowledge and Yogi Bhajan talked about this and people made fun of him. I mean, they he thought he think, was ridiculous. They, they didn't think it would actually happen. No, he said in the seventies, we're going to have a phone. We're going to have a handheld device that with one touch of a button, you're going to have all knowledge available at your fingertip. And everybody was what? like, oh yeah, whatever. I mean, you know, they could <laughs> yeah. not, they couldn't comprehend it. Of course. So the internet kind of basically uh, midwifed in this new age of this, the change of power, which is what we're seeing right now. We're seeing this very kind of shaky, the structure of how to be a leader or a teacher now in this age. It's changed. And Yogi Bhajan was kind of the last of that era, as well as um, His Holiness and some of these other teachers. Um and so that's just a theory. I don't know if I'm right, but and so he it was a great it was a great treasure to just be in his his aura for a little bit of those last years. And um and it's also you know I feel that I'm very lucky to have a relationship with my living teacher Hari Jivan because I think in any sector like take it out of spirituality, you people talk about mentorship or or having a teacher or having a guide of some sort. It's really the most powerful relationship for your progress. And I think anybody you ask who's really successful will tell you, I had a really good mentor or guide or teacher. or And I feel that that's really the key to my success as I both was able to spend that last little bit with Yogi Bhajan. And then I also have an incredible teacher who is living. And yeah. I'm very lucky. Yeah. That's so lucky to have both. I really feel lucky. Yeah. So, well, that's amazing. And the age, the Piscean age that you're talking about, now we're in the Aquarian age. Tell us what that means. I'm sure so many people listening don't know. And yeah, what is it? What are some concepts? Yeah, well, it's an astrological phenomenon. Um, you know, there's basically a wobble of the earth. And there, because of that wobble, it creates this when the when the earth is turning it creates this um kind of uh, the way the axis points towards a constellation in the the galaxy and that's kind of the way that you determine these big spans of time called the age of pisces age of aquarius before that the age of 
Aries. How long do they last? They last about 2000 and change years. So you think like for the age of Pisces, BC to AD was the change into the age of Pisces. And now just like many of the prophecies of many different lineages, including most notably probably the, the Mayan prophecy, but also this astrological prophecy, now we've moved since uh, basically the earth hit, the, the, the axis of the earth pointed at the galactic how to be a leader or a teacher now in this age. It, it's changed. And Yogi Bhajan was kind of the last of that era as well as um, His Holiness and some of these other teachers. Um, and so that's just a theory. I don't know if I'm right. But, and so he it was a great, it was a great treasure to just be in his, his aura for a little bit of those last years. And, um, and it's also, you know, I feel that I'm very lucky to have a relationship with my living teacher, Hari Jivan, because I think in any sector, like take it out of spirituality, people talk about mentorship or, or having a teacher or having a guide of some sort. It's really the most powerful relationship for your progress. And I think anybody you ask who's really successful will tell you, I had a really good mentor or guide or teacher. Or And I feel that that's really the key to my success as I both was able to spend that last little bit with Yogi Bhajan. And then I also have an incredible teacher who is living. And yeah. I'm very lucky. Yeah. That's so lucky to have both. I really feel lucky. Yeah. So, well, that's amazing. And the age, the Piscean age that you're talking about, now we're in the Aquarian age. Tell us what that means. I'm sure so many people listening don't know. And yeah, what is it? What are some concepts? Yeah, well, it's an astrological phenomenon. Um, You know, there's basically a wobble of the earth. And there, because of that wobble, it creates this when the when the earth is turning it creates this um kind of uh, the way the axis points towards a constellation in the the galaxy and that's kind of the way that you determine these big spans of time called the age of pisces age of aquarius before that the age of Aries. How long do they last? They last about 2000 and change years. So you think like for the age of Pisces, BC to AD was the change into the age of Pisces. And now just like many of the prophecies of many different lineages, including most notably probably the, the Mayan prophecy, but also this astrological prophecy, now we've moved since uh, basically the earth hit, the, the, the axis of the earth pointed at the galactic center of the Milky Way galaxy on the 21st of December, 2012, which is the, the hmm. Mayan prophecy, the end of the Mayan calendar and many of the other kind of prophecies. Um, even you see some of the, that prophecy in kind of the um, uh, last chapter of the Bible or you know just different types of, of prophecy around the change of age. And in that change of age, we went from an age of the people who had the power were the people who knew the most. And part of the cusp time of the change of age was the advent of the internet. So from basically 1991 to 2012 was this kind of cusp period. And we're still really just a scratch into it, um, into the age of Aquarius. But 
that was the cusp period and that was the advent of the internet. So all of a sudden, those who had the knowledge or the know-how in this age of Pisces, it was like if somebody knew how to do something, you travel hundreds of, you travel for days to find out, or if they knew something about to, you travel, this was the age that, you know, and then all of a sudden the internet came. And so you would say, uh, before Christ, after Christ, well, before the internet, after the internet. And so um, now it's no longer, anybody can get all of the knowledge. And Yogi Bhajan talked about this and people made fun of him. I mean, they thought he was ridiculous. They they didn't think it would actually happen. No, he said in the seventies, we're going to have a phone. We're going to have a handheld device that with one touch of a button, you're going to have all knowledge available at your fingertip. And everybody was like, oh yeah, whatever. I mean, you know, they could (laughs) not, they couldn't comprehend it. Of course. So the internet kind of basically uh, midwifed in this new age of this, the change of power, which is what we're seeing right now. We're seeing this very kind of shaky, the structure of how to be a leader or a teacher now in this age. It's changed. And Yogi Bhajan was kind of the last of that era, as well as um, His Holiness and some of these other teachers. Um, and so that's just a theory. I don't know if I'm right, but and so he it was a great it was a great treasure to just be in his his aura for a little bit of those last years. And um and it's also you know I feel that I'm very lucky to have a relationship with my living teacher Hari Jivan because I think in any sector like take it out of spirituality, people talk about mentorship or or having a teacher or having a guide of some sort. It's really the most powerful relationship for your progress. And I think anybody you ask who's really successful will tell you, I had a really good mentor or guide or teacher. or And I feel that that's really the key to my success as I both was able to spend that last little bit with Yogi Bhajan. And then I also have an incredible teacher who is living. And yeah. I'm very lucky. Yeah. That's so lucky to have both. I really feel lucky. Yeah. So, well, that's amazing. And the age, the Piscean age that you're talking about, now we're in the Aquarian age. Tell us what that means. I'm sure so many people listening don't know. And yeah, what is it? What are some concepts? Yeah, well, it's an astrological phenomenon. Um, you know, there's basically a wobble of the earth. And there, because of that wobble, it creates this when the 